Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The one step up and two steps back edition as the Bengals follow a thrilling win over Baltimore with back-to-back losses to the Jets and Browns to fall to 5-4 and four heading into their bye. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays from the loss, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll get to know a Bengals rookie who says that if he could meet anybody in history, he would choose Leonardo da Vinci. I think you'll enjoy our conversation. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Zoji Rushi rice cooker. If you're looking for a cheap rice cooker, the Zoji Rushi brand is not for you. But if you're willing to pay extra for the Mac Daddy of rice cookers, then the Zoji Rushi can't be beat. The rice is fluffy and perfect every time, never sticks to the pan, and there are even different settings for white, brown, jasmine, basmati, etc. Plus, it looks cool in your kitchen. The number one overall pick in the rice cooker draft is definitely the Zoji Rushi. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. It sure started well. The Bengals got the ball first and zipped right down the field, picking up five first downs before facing third and goal from the Cleveland three. That's when Joe Burrow made a rare, terrible throw. Joe extends the hands, fakes a handoff to Pirine, throws, intercepted, sprinting up the near sideline and heading toward the middle of the field now with the football. It is Denzel Ward taking it the distance for a Cleveland touchdown. Wow. The Bengals not only failed to score inside the red zone, Joe Burrow's former Ohio State teammate Denzel Ward stepped in front of Jamar Chase at the one-yard line and took it back 99 yards for a touchdown. Burrow didn't have much to say about Ward's pick six. He made a good play. I left it inside a little bit, and if you do that to Denzel, he's going to make you pay. You know, if I if I play better, we're in that game. We have a chance to win that game. I just didn't play well, and... That's all there is to it. Burrow had his good moments, too. In fact, after the pick six, he drove the Bengals 75 yards on nine plays to tie the game. Toss sweep to the left. Mixon looking for a running lane. Great move. Gets to the sideline. Touchdown. Bengals as Mixon takes it 11 yards into the end zone for the Bengals score. That made it 7-7. And at that point, the Bengals had run 20 plays for 141 yards before Baker Mayfield had even touched the ball. But when the Browns finally took the field on offense, the Bengals couldn't stop them. Mayfield hands it off to Chubb, trying to knife his way in. No signal yet. The officials charge up the sideline, and now on the far side of the field, there's a touchdown signal. Nick Chubb's two-yard run gave Cleveland a 14-7 lead, and that lead grew the next time Cleveland got the ball. Baker Mayfield under center, Nick Chubb seven yards behind. 
Chubb stands straight up and down. No hands on knees. Mayfield fakes to him. Baker flings it deep downfield. Uh-oh. He's got a receiver wide open. Caught at the 15 and streaking into the end zone is Donovan Peoples-Jones for a 60-yard touchdown. P.D. Apple and beat him badly. The Browns got rid of OBJ on Friday, but DPJ, Donovan Peoples-Jones, gave Cleveland a 21-7 lead. Both meetings between these two teams last year were shootouts, but this time the Bengals kept shooting themselves in the foot. Burrow against a four-man rush, quick throw, caught by Chase. Ball's knocked out. Cleveland scoops it up, running it back to the 30 and taken out of bounds at the 30-yard line. John Johnson knocked it out of there, Dan. John Johnson put his hat and his shoulder pads right on the football. That's just a deadly tackle right there. you got to protect the ball. That led to a field goal to give the Browns a 24-7 lead. And if you go back to last week's game in New York and toss out the Jets' final drive when they ran out the clock, it marked the eighth straight drive where the opponent scored on the Bengals' defense. An Evan McPherson field goal at the end of the half made it 24-10 to Cleveland. Here's Joe Mixon. Um, we just got to come out faster, man. Come out faster. Got to play with more intensity. Um, just got to play Bengals football. And, you know, these last two games, we ain't been able to do that. Um, it's a lot of frustration, but at the same time, we got to keep everybody together. Um, just got to keep learning, keep building, and uh, we got to prepare better, you know, as players, take it upon ourselves, and um, just got to do better. The Bengals' defense finally forced a punt on the Browns' first drive of the third quarter, but the offense wasn't able to capitalize. Burrow fakes a handoff. Uh-oh. He's in trouble. Miles Garrett blew right around Jonah Williams and sacks Joe Burrow back at the 24-yard line. Well, Miles Garrett was setting setting it up, and, and Miles Garrett was he's laying in the weeds, and then all of a sudden you can block him for 20, 25 plays, and then all of a sudden he comes off the edge hard on one play. And, He's got a myriad of moves. There's no question about it. He's got explosiveness. He's got a burst. He's got great hands. He's one hell of a football player. Garrett had one and a half sacks to increase his league-leading total to 12. The Browns had five sacks overall and hit Joe Burrow 12 times. Here again is Mixon. Me as a running back, you know, I hate to see Burrow get hit, and the linemen should hate it too. Um, you know, also as well as the tight ends, but we got to take it upon ourselves, you know, and, uh, you know, keep Burrow clean. We got to keep him untouched. At that point, the Bengals were still within 14 points. They knew the Browns would try to run the ball, but knowing it and stopping it are two very different things. Mayfield under center, Chubb lines up seven yards behind. Tight end Hooper motions from right to left. Mayfield has the ball. Hands it off to Chubb. Oh. Gets away from an ankle tackle, and look at him go. See ya. Off to the races, down the middle of the field to the 20, the 10. Touchdown, 70 yards. Nick Chubb to the house. Wow. I'm telling you, Nick Chubb can run you over and run away from you. This guy has got power, and he's got speed. Chubb finished with 137 yards on only 14 carries. In six career games against the Bengals, he's topped 100 yards in four of them. Here's Zach Taylor. We've got to be better there. When you're facing the team that's the number one rushing team in the NFL, uh, that, that's kind of been their bread and butter. You know, and, and Chubb's a fantastic running back. They've got a really good offensive line and a good tight end group that blocks for them. Um, we knew we had our work cut out for us because that's what they've shown each, each game that they've played really over the last two years. 
Um, so one of the things you got to do is 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 you got to be where you're supposed to be, and you got to be able to put the back on the ground. We get the opportunities. I did see a couple times when we had some opportunities, we missed those tackles. Another Burrow interception led to a field goal that made it 34-10 going to the fourth quarter. Joe Mixon scored on a two-yard run to make it 34-16, and Joe finished with 110 combined rushing and receiving yards. But that didn't mean much. An 18-yard touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield to David Njoku made the final score 41-16 almost identical to the Bengals' 41-17 win in Baltimore two weeks ago. Here are Sam Hubbard and C.J. Uzama. I think it just got out of hand. Um, You know, turnovers, got to take care of the ball, big plays, um, mistakes, you know, just it's the NFL. It's a tough division. You know, you see what happens when you let things get out of hand. We were kind of on the other side of it early in the season. happened to us, so... Got to take it and learn from it. We're pissed. Obviously, we just lost in, in, in a bad way in, in front of our home crowd. But there's the stress level and the panic level. There's there's none. Right? We're, we, we know what we have. We know what we can still achieve. And we just have to go out there and do it. Two weeks ago, the Bengals were the number one playoff seed in the AFC. Now, they're a game and a half behind the first place Ravens in the AFC North and could fall a half game behind the Steelers if Pittsburgh beats the Bears at Heinz Field on Monday night. It's obviously not what they were hoping for going into their bye week, but they are five and four, and five of their last eight are at home. Here are Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. Still got everything in front of us. You know, there's no panicking. We've lost two in a row. So what? You know, we've got eight games left, and still a chance to to win the division and make the playoffs. So. That's our focus going forward. I think that people are going to try to paint a picture of overreaction when you lose two games in a row. We're not. You know, we're going to correct those things that we need to correct and um, use this bye week to, to get our bodies back and make sure we're healthy going into the back half of the season. Um, but this this isn't unusual for teams to lose two games in a row in this league. Uh, you know, it, it feels awful, trust me, <laughs> to, to sit here after two consecutive losses. But I think it's important that we're consistent with our approach throughout. Um, we know we've done some good things over this first nine games of the season. And so we'll, we'll make those corrections that we need to make so that we're focused and, and can come out strong after the bye. The first game after the bye is on the road in Las Vegas. The Raiders are 5-3 and three after losing to the Giants on Sunday. They have a home game on Sunday night football next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time for post-game analysis with Dave Lapham. All right, Lap, I guess my first question after 41-16 loss would be what's happened to the Bengals' defense? So good through seven games and really struggling over the last two. Yeah, that that's a tough one to tough one to figure out because I don't know I don't if they cracked the code I wonder what the code was you know it's like man and it it looked like you know teams did it a little bit differently it looked like the Jets just attacked you know the the perimeter in the in the short areas of the football field by throwing the football I mean the Cleveland Browns did what they do they ran it and uh you know Baker Mayfield just played off of that he only threw it 21 times he completed 14 of them for 218 yards, but I mean Chubb almost has 10 yards a rush, 14 carries, 137 yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> 70-yard touchdown run will do that for you. 
There's no doubt about it. I mean, like we said, Dan, the 70-yard touchdown run, uh, Peoples-Jones 60-yard touchdown catch. They had four other plays, or five other plays of over 21 yards. And, uh, you know, they only ran for the, for the entire football game. They only ran 46 plays. Had 261 yards, 361 yards on 46 snaps. Mm. I mean, it was uh, it was a dismantling. There's there's no doubt about it. But I, I don't know. I don't know what what it is that uh, that teams have figured out here. But you you mentioned a couple times during the course of the game where eight straight drives between the Jets and the and the Cleveland Browns that they they score. I mean, eight straight before a punt stopped that streak. Or was it 10 drives before a punt stopped the streak? Well, the overall stat is in a 10-drive span, not including the end of the Jets game where they just ran out of the clock, in a 10-drive span between the two games, the Bengals' defense forced one punt and gave up nine scores. Wow. That's that's problematic, (laughs) to say the least. Um, And it it changes the whole complexion of the bye. I mean, they've got a... They got to take apart what they've done and put it back together again. They have to they have to figure out. They got some work ahead of them, um, going into the bye with a, a two straight losses and one of them a division loss by, by quite a margin. Uh, that that uh, that's that's concerning to say the least. We said it on the pregame show. Going into the game with a bye ahead, you're either six and three with a three and zero record in the division where you can kick back, relax, go on vacation, whatever you want to do during the bye, or you're five and four. You've lost two straight games where you were favored to win, and you might ha- have a hard time sleeping for the next week. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think a lot of sports psychologists are going to make money during the bye week as, as players and coaches visit these, uh, these guys. It, um, you know, I, I think what, you, what you have to do though is maybe go back and, and really break tape down during the successful run, and break tape down during the the run where they've had some struggles and, and really put a fine-tooth comb to what people are doing differently and what you might need to do. Uh, sometimes it, the, the, uh, the adjustments aren't as, as apparent and e- as easy as, as, uh, as you might think, I guess, and they need to, need to just look over, you know, over all of it and evaluate it and, and be really truthful and honest and, and maybe make some decisions on how they divide playing time amongst some players. They may determine that, you know what, this hasn't been just for a series. This has been for two games in a row now that I haven't gotten the production that I need at this position or that position. Or you, you can't make wholesale personnel changes, um, and you don't want to do anything, um, you know, a knee-jerk reaction type thing. But man, you, you, I think you just have to study it from A to Z, and and uh, and make as many uh, adjustments and, and changes, and make as many tough decisions as you possibly need to make i love joe burrow you love joe burrow the fan base loves joe burrow there's no quarterback i would rather have going forward than joe burrow and he's not perfect nobody is but that first interception you can't make that throw it's third down and goal from the three i don't know what he saw because denzel ward was right there I don't know how he didn't see him unless, you know, you look at the angle with the pass rush that you don't know if he was blocked out. I mean, that, the only thing I can figure is that he just didn't see him the way it was apparent that he should have been seen because, uh, yeah, that, that one, it's not like he even had to really break on it. He just kind of just had to catch it and run. 
So uh, that that one was a was a backbreaker for sure, and um, that's a 14 point swing. You know, it's it's uh, <laughs> but the the fact is, you come right back, and uh, you you score a touchdown, go right down the field again, and score a touchdown. And, you know, you run 20 snaps and put seven points on the board, 14 really, seven for them and th- seven for you, um, before they even take the field offensively. Boy, once they once the Cleveland Browns took the field offensively, though, they couldn't wait to show you what they had. You know, they, they had a good game plan, and they were anxious to un- let it unfold. Tough day for Jamar Chase. Costly fumble, a couple of deep balls, including one in the end zone that should have been caught. Another deep ball that could have been caught. It would have been a great catch if he had held on. But unfortunately, as brilliant as he's been to this point of his rookie year, this was not a great day for him. Yeah, he's been streaky. You know, you look at he had a bad streak at training camp. Then he put together a good streak of a few games. But he dropped a touchdown pass against the Jets as well, right in the end zone. Hit him right in the chest. He let it get in his shoulder pads and bounced off his chest. He dropped, you know, a couple of balls today and, uh, you know, other Another throw that would have been a great catch, there's no question. But in this league, when you get two hands on the football, you know, most receivers are going to say, I should catch that football. So, yeah, he's he's in a streak that's, that's not very good again. Uh, maybe the bye week is coming at a very opportune time for him. Maybe it's coming at an opportune time for, for a few guys. That The one thing, though, Dan, is they've been remarkably healthy, you know, and uh, in the bye week they should even get more healthy. So... When they come back after the bye week, it's not like they're waiting for guys to to rehab and and key components to come back to the to the football team. And I guess you can look at it two ways. You can look at it and say, "Oh, they're healthy, and they still have had a tough two game stretch." You know, if if, the, if if injuries could explain it, that'd be an easy explanation. But that's not the case. But they um, they have time to lick their wounds. They're not physical. They're mental. And and uh, you know, I, I, I'll guarantee you. The coaches are going to be burning some midnight oil here in the early stages of the bye week. I mean, they're going to take some time with their families. Uh, they deserve it. Um, Zach said, you know, in the postgame show that players are giving him everything they they have, and he has no issues, no questions, no problems with that, the the the, uh, the effort that they've given. And I, I, I agree. When I look at the tape, I don't see guys not playing hard. I see guys not executing proper technique. I see guys, you know, making mental errors. I see mistakes. I see guys not playing smart enough. But I, I don't. It's not a case of guys, eh, you know, just putting it in cruise control and and not playing hard. They are playing hard. We know the Browns are a talented team. They played today like the team they're supposed to be. Unfortunately, the Bengals did not get them on a bad day. Let's talk about Akeem Adeniji. I know you spoke to him after the game. What did you make of the fact that he started? Uh, in place of Jackson Carmen at right guard, and how do you think he did? I thought he acquitted himself pretty darn well. Now he's a he's his own toughest critic, so he said there are, you know there are a few plays, and there always are. You know, in a seventy play sequence of a football game, you're not going to have seventy perfect plays. But I bet you he had sixty five that are probably you know more than passable. And I think what it boiled down to was they were excited about him before he got hurt. And then when he came back, his feet are so good, and his balance is so good, and he has he has really athleticism and strength. So you think, man, I gotta I gotta use this guy somewhere. And he hadn't played right guard he's had in a long time, and they threw him in there. I thought maybe, you know, uh, the two weeks of practice that he came back, Frank Pollock's like, 
I got to play this guy. I mean, he must have just made the decision. This guy's showing me too much physically. I got to see what he can do in a game because he, he leapfrogged everybody, you know. He leapfrogged Carmen. He leapfrogged Hill. He's, you know, I'm going to put him at right guard. And I thought he might rotate. Maybe, you know, not every series rotate, but maybe get a blow here and there. He, he played 20 quick plays and played 70 plays, uh, you know, in, in a football game where he had not played a physical battle like that in quite a while. So that, that's a pretty good tribute to him. And, um, you know, it shows the kind of confidence that his teammates and his line coach and everybody has in him. And, and he couldn't have been more effusive in his praise of, you know, the veteran guys around him, the Riley Reese and, you know, Trey Hawkins, uh, you know, helping him. And and that 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 is I mean it's, it, it was the same way for Jackson Carmen and uh, Trey Hill anybody in there so having having those bookend veteran guys is so helpful there. The loss to Cleveland makes the loss to the Jets hurt that much more. Up by eleven midway through the fourth quarter, if they just hold on and win that game, yeah. A 25-point loss at home to the Browns would have stung, but at least, big picture, you still would have felt great. Now that Jets game, you really kick yourself for letting that one get away. Yeah, it's like, all right, up 11, seven minutes to go, up five, you know, three minutes and 40 seconds, whatever, and you can't finish. Um, So now you combine not being able to finish against a team that you should have beaten um, in – and you follow it up with a division loss, the magnitude of this one, it's a, it's a double whammy. It's a second kick in the butt. So uh, you don't have much time to recover from the first one. You take that second one. So, you know, maybe I, I know, it, I know it's, uh, it's tough to go into a bye with this type of down feeling, but maybe they, maybe they need to. Like I said, maybe they need to just um, rip, take some things out of what they're doing and add some some additional things and work on it during the bye week and you have two weeks to for the next opponent um, and you just you know get ready and and fine-tune yourself for the, the second half of the season um, it, it, you really don't have any choice I you know I, I don't think you continue along the same lines that you've played the last couple of games it hasn't worked so it does give you time to go back to the football lab and uh, take out some other you know primary elements and raw materials and formulate something and put it together for the second half of the season then the players can rest and uh you know rest their minds and bodies and and get ready to give maximum effort the second half of the season no game next sunday a trip to vegas the following sunday are you dave lapham a vegas guy (laughs) i've been there Uh, i've been there a couple of times I'm a, I'll play some blackjack. Right. I, I've, I've done that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Allegiant, though. I mean, that edifice looks like it's mind-boggling. Uh, just just to, to see some of these sta- these stadiums are just, I mean, they're just unbelievable pieces of architecture. What they're doing now with these stadiums, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But uh, yeah, I mean, Vegas is. You see, you see all kinds of things in Vegas. There's no doubt. Sometimes you want to forget some of the things you've seen in Vegas or heard in Vegas or whatever. But yeah, I've been there on a couple of occasions, and uh, you know, sometimes myself and some of the people I've been with have done well, and sometimes not too well at all. <laughs> I'm in the not well at all category when it comes to my track record in Vegas. All right, disappointing day, five and four. Take the break. Move on. Five and four, still have a uh, – you got your head above water in terms of above 500. And, uh, 
eight games to finish it out and, and finish strong. Um, if, if you go two and one in the division the second half of the season, worst case scenario like you did in the first half of the season, four and two, depending on how you handle your other business, uh, could put you in, in pretty good shape. You know, you're looking at uh, – you're looking at being able to, to hang in there, and, and uh, it, all, all you want to do is get in the tournament. You know, you want to get in the postseason tournament. That's what it's all about. And then you never know because, I mean, Jacksonville beats Buffalo 9-6. to six. Come on. I mean, the National Football League is just when you think you know, you have no clue. You have no clue. For more on the game and the season to date, join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with rookie Jackson Carmen, born and raised in the Cincinnati area and now a rookie on the offensive line. Let's start with your musical ability. What instruments do you play and how did you learn to play them? I play a lot of different instruments, my best instruments being guitar, drums, piano, banjo, ukulele, basically any percussive instrument. And I feel like if there's an instrument I don't know, I can teach myself how to play it. So if you want to impress somebody by playing a song on piano or guitar, whatever it might be, what's your go-to? Really, uh, I love to improvise and like freestyle, make stuff on my own, but... I listen to just about every genre of music, so I can pull from just about any type of music people will want to listen to. So it's really up to the person listening. I know your mom is a talented singer. Was that talent passed down? It was. Do you want to give us an example? Not right now, but I do. I will have uh, later some music being released. Not anytime soon during the season, but it was coming soon. So I'll let I'll let that uh, I'll let it get worked on first if I, you know what I'm saying? I want it to be a final product. Fair enough. Something for us to look forward to. We're doing fun facts with Jackson Carmen. You're a big man. Were you always the biggest kid in the neighborhood? Yes, always. I was born like nine plus pounds. Uh, I was being big my whole entire life. Wasn't allowed to run the football in Wee, so I had to take the ball from the running backs <laughs> while I was playing D-line. But uh, yeah, I've been big my whole life. In youth sports, did the parents of the opposing team want to see your birth certificate? Yeah, almost every game. As a matter of fact, like even like when, when I first started playing football, I was playing up as a third grader with the fifth and sixth graders, and even their parents were asking for birth certificates. It's a compliment, in a way. It is most definitely. We're doing fun facts with Jackson Carmen. You started Fairfield High School. You're one of the top twenty recruits in the country. Did you enjoy the attention, or was it a little bit overwhelming? I could definitely say a bit of both. Um, especially like just being so young, but the most important thing was like that whole experience was just like a learning lesson for me, just like just growing and maturing as a young man and being able to just like see more of the world and really uh I feel like once football started to pick up for me so that like kinda of my curiosity just like to see the world more and get out and experience things. So definitely football provided that opportunity for me. Chose Clemson. Hard to uh, argue with the decision. Played in a couple of national championship games. Won a championship as a freshman. What are your most vivid memories of that first perfect season? Honestly, just like how unrealistic it felt. And I remember thinking that, like, while I was on the team, like, man, we're blowing everybody out by like forty and fifty, all the way up until the Natty. You know what I mean? So, like, I just really was enjoying it and just trying to learn as much as possible that year. 
So when you win a national championship in college football, you get to go to the White House. What was that experience like? That experience was very eye-opening as well. I got to learn a lot and see a lot of uh, cool things. And uh, it was funny, too, because I remember we were serving McDonald's, and uh, someone made a tweet, and I went viral. But it was all, it was all good, and it was a good experience for me. I remember that now. It was a government shutdown, so President <laughs> Trump paid for McDonald's and Burger King and pizza. Not exactly the feast you expect when you go to an event at the White House, right? I was just happy to be there. I don't blame you. We'd all uh, love that opportunity. So last year in your third and final year at Clemson, you played the last five games with a back injury and had surgery after the season for a herniated disc. How bad was the pain? Pain was uh, really bad. The pain affected me just like in my day-to-day life. Like I like was walking with a limp. It hurt to go to sleep. It hurt to get, sit, in, sit in meetings. Like I couldn't even sit straight up in meetings. I had to like, stand up every like couple minutes. It's hard to drive. And even just mentally, you know what I mean? Like, just knowing that there's, like, something that you're dealing with, you don't know what's wrong with it. It's kind of tough, but definitely feel like that pain, you know what I'm saying, grew me mentally and definitely a more uh, cognizant of, of all those things now. And I feel much more prepared heading to the future. So last year, a lot of top NFL prospects opted out due to COVID-19. You kept playing with a herniated disc. Why? For me, I really just loved my teammates and I loved the game of self of football and I realized the opportunity that I had in front of me. And at the time, I didn't know it was a herniated disc, um, but still, like, was playing through it regardless. And um, it's just kind of just like, that's kind of the player I've always been. I've always just been, like, tough and, uh, and nasty, you know what I mean? And... Uh, not saying that I would advise anybody to do that, but I feel like I definitely uh, showed my true character through those moments. I'm sure your teammates and coaches appreciated it. We're doing fun facts with Jackson Carmen. I'm a sucker for good draft night footage, and yours was <laughs> awesome, especially the long embrace with your mom after the pick was announced. Describe that night. Man, that night was really just very emotional and I was just super grateful for everything happening and just like being able to take that individual moment in and just like sit on it and cherish it and not worry about anything else. Just be able to just like take in being surrounded by family and friends and you know what I'm saying, everything just being positive, you know what I mean, throughout the entirety of the night. It was just great. So that's definitely a night I'll never forget. You genuinely seem thrilled to be staying with your hometown team. Is that the case? Most definitely, and just like one is the place I was born in, and so that's always an awesome opportunity to be able to represent the place that you're from, and also just knowing I was going to be like around my family and friends, and also just have a lot more opportunity outside the game of football, being in Cincinnati, and just like excited about our team and about what we who we got here. Like I knew T was here, I knew uh, DJ was coming, I knew. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Joe obviously whooped us in the championship. So <laughs> it's uh I knew what we had like I knew what we had building and I was really excited about it. You are looking to follow in the footsteps of two of the greatest offensive linemen in team history, and you had relationships with Anthony Munoz and Willie Anderson before being drafted by Cincinnati. What do you admire and respect about those two guys? Those two guys are just like I think the thing I admire and respect the most about them and it's kind of like how I try to carry myself is that even though they're both probably some of the greatest football players that ever played a game they will still talk to you just like I'm talking to you right now just like you're talking to me just like as a man to man and they're just so humble and insightful and wise and always have something good to say and it's encouraging knowing that like 
even though they're so great and they're so like awesome, like they're still just like you and me. You know what I mean? So that gives you like a belief in yourself that you're able to do great things as well. So definitely have a lot of love for both of those guys. Apparently several hours before the Bengals chose you, they reached out to Willie Anderson just for one final conversation. Is this the guy we should take? And clearly he gave you his stamp of approval. What did that mean? Man, that means the world, honestly. And just, like, for a guy like Willie to even, like, say something about me in that regard is already an honor within itself. And so, like, I'm definitely glad everything worked out the way it did. And I'm very appreciative of the role that Willie's played in my life. All right. A few wild card topics for Jackson Carmen. Aside from music, do you have any other hidden talents? Yes. I feel like I, I feel like my number one talent is just, like, learning. Hmm. And I really don't feel like I'm like multi-talented. I just feel like that talent allows me to like be able to do like anything I can put my mind to. And so like I love to cook. I love to like travel and do like active stuff outside, like surfing, wake surfing, jet skiing, snowboarding, stuff like that. I love to. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I feel like I can do anything. So, and that's not from like a cocky place, but that's just from I don't like to limit myself like on my mind. Like people say I can't do this, or I couldn't picture myself. I couldn't picture myself doing that. I'll just go and try it, you know what I mean, and be able to learn it as I go. I've seen footage on the Internet of you water skiing, world's most talented big man water skier. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so crazy because everyone makes jokes about that, but at the same time, like, sports like that definitely translate to football directly. And just, like, being on the water so much on a board, you just find a different level of balance and a different level of just, like, kind of body awareness, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And those things definitely translate. So that's why I always encourage kids or just people to be able to just, like, go out and try things and just, like, just learn and have new experiences because those are, it's not going to do anything for you but help you. After being a second-round draft pick, you have a little bit of spending money to work with. Is there anything you like to splurge on? I'm not really, like, a huge splurger, but I do. I do love good food, like high-quality food, gourmet food. I definitely consider myself a food critic. <laughs> and so, like, I've been to, uh, I've been, like, just going around all the steakhouses in Cincinnati mm-hmm. and kind of making a little personal review book for them on my release later. Got to get a Carmen on the Jeff Ruby menu. The most definitely we do. <laughs> most definitely. So what would be on the Carmen? That's, that's another thing. We got to wait till that comes out okay. to see. Fair enough. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, entertainer, statesman, Whoever it might be, who would that person be? Leonardo da Vinci. Probably him. A renaissance man, just like you, multi-talented. Yeah, he's just a genius. And he's super, like, just didn't stop himself from doing anything. You know what I mean? And influenced the world. Excellent answer. I appreciate your time. Congratulations on a great start. Best of luck the rest of the year. Likewise, I appreciate you. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.